Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Friday, February the 23rd, 2024. It is currently 6.40 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, this is another episode of what we are calling Theology Central Radio, where I walk down the creaky steps, I go down into the dusty storage area, I look through all the shelves, rows and rows of shelves, all filled with messages from the past. All of my messages from the past. And, well, today I stopped at a shelf marked 2015. 2015. And I found one from June the 28th, 2015. June the 28th, 2015. Now, a couple of interesting things about this. Number one... I was somewhat surprised that it was 2015 was the last time I took the church through the historical lectionary. So in 2015, we were going through the lectionary. 2024, we're going through the lectionary. Another thing that was interesting is you can, I can hear from the sound of my voice that I obviously wasn't feeling great. I wasn't feeling well. I don't know if I had had a seizure that morning, the night before, I, I, I definitely don't sound <laughs> great. Um, I kind of sound a little sick, but sometimes after a seizure, I kind of sound that way. So it may have been a combination of, of two things. Um, I think we're in the book of Ezekiel. And I think what I did was I used Sunday school and the Sunday morning hour all for the uh, same readings, which is what I typically do for the lectionary. So um, this is the Sunday school hour for June the 28th, twenty. 15, and that's what we're going to uh, to go to, and that's what hopefully it will be beneficial. Before we do that, before we kind of kick off Theology Central Radio in a proper way by by going back and listen and, and listening, and we're just trying to make use of our of our archive. We're trying to make use of our library. I mean, I've got thousands and thousands of hours of content. Try to do something with it. So this is just trying to do a come up with a unique idea. I know it's kind of random, but hey, I, I think it's a good idea. And it's been at least one person who's very grateful for it. And the numbers have been pretty good. So I, I think I'm going to do that. But before we do, before we get started, a quick update. Many of you know that at least on all the podcasting apps, right? All the podcasting apps. It doesn't matter if you're using Spotify, Pocket Cast, Apple Podcasts. doesn't matter which podcasting app you are utilizing. If you're listening to the Theology Central podcast on those apps, you're noticing that there are now ads at the beginning and the end. Well, we discovered today that the podcast hosting site had started placing ads in the middle. That should not be the case. I am trying to have those removed. I'm hoping they can be removed and that problem never appears again. If you notice them, let me know. You can email me newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. For those who do not like the ads and have either stated they don't like the ads or they're going, going to skip the ads, look, I understand. I don't like them either. Yeah, yeah, really? <laughs> I, 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 it's, uh, sometimes I struggle with, with, I don't know exactly what people want, right? I, they, I guess they just want as much content as they can have 
and they want it to, I don't know. I don't know what they want. I, all I know is I'm doing the best I can to try to figure out solutions. All right. Hey, look, if I had enough of people, if I had enough people supporting what we're trying to do here, then guess what? The ads would go away just like that. All I have to do is go in and press a button and the ads are gone. It's that simple. So, um, you know, we don't need, we don't need people giving large amounts. We just need a medium sized number of people giving small amounts on a consistent basis. And then I, I will get rid of the ads just like that. So that's there. That's annoying that they put them in the middle. I didn't ask for them to be there. In fact, I literally set it up where it's what's called a pre-roll and a post-roll. Nothing, not a mid-roll, what they call a mid-roll ad. I removed that. So the, the point is, is they're telling me, hey, we can, we, you're, as long as your program is, you need more ads. You need more commercials. And we've got plenty of sponsors for you, right? We've got, they've got a plenty. And so they want to add more. They don't want to, they don't want to add less. They want to add more. So there's no shortage of, <laughs> there's no shortage of commercials, but I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm just, I'm just trying to just find a way to support everything. So that's what's going on there. Oh, look, I'm hoping the day comes where I can just be done with it and delete all of that and we don't have to ever worry about it again. It's just, it's, it's just a really difficult thing in figuring out how to, how to work all of this. I know we're kind of going through this transition and you may be like, what is happening? I don't even know what's happening from day to day. But I do know this. As long as I can keep broadcasting, then I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I've, I've done two hours today. We're talking about some, you know, pretty controversial issues. We've talked about that. Now we're going to go back to 2015 and listen to some a Sunday school hour. Then maybe, maybe we'll go ahead and do the Sunday morning hour. And then maybe after that, we'll go listen to Niagara Creed part three. I don't know. I don't know how many different, how many hours I'm going to do this tonight for Theology Central Radio, but now you're going to get hours of, 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 of preaching. So, um, I'm just going to try to keep doing the best I can, providing as much uh, content as possible. Hopefully, people are finding it beneficial and useful. And hopefully, in so doing, we will we'll build just a, a strong group of people who are like, hey, I, I, I like what you're doing. Keep doing it. And here's the help. Here, here's, here's help to get you there. So uh, we will see. We will see. Time will tell. But in the meantime, I can't worry. And that's the one thing I know about life. I can't worry about tomorrow. I can't. Yesterday is gone. No use worrying about that. No use regretting that. I mean, I, is there nothing I can do? I can't go back. Tomorrow's not here yet. So there's no point where all I've got is right now. And I don't even know if I'll be here by midnight. I could be dead by midnight. So I can't, I can't, I, I, it's easy to say those words. It's not always easy to, to live that out. But in the meantime, I can focus on what we can do. And what we can do is use the technology that are, that's given to us at this moment in time, make good use of it. Got thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of broadcasting and, and podcasting and sermons and Bible studies and devotional messages. So if we can utilize those, then we will. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to June 28th, 2015. I, I will get the ads situated on the podcast. I will get that fixed. I promise you that. Be patient. Just be patient with me as I try to figure out this brave new world of of broadcasting and trying to figure out how we're, you know, we're, we're approaching a way that ne we've never done before. So you be patient. In the meantime, I will promise I will try to, you know, keep giving you content that I think will be uh, beneficial. So here we go. June the 28th, 2015. 
All right, today we have, depending on what source you look at, either A, we're in the back of the lectionary for the Sacred Heart, which um, that's, that gives us the Hosea reading, or, depending on where you look at, it, uh, it could be if you're looking at the Liturgy of the Hours or if you're looking at uh, certain uh, lectionary calendars, we are on the 11th Sunday of the year, which puts us on page 170. So it all depends on which way you want to go. Since the Liturgy of the Hours calls today the 11th Sunday of the uh, year and does not recognize this as the Feast of the Sacred Heart, um, I don't know if that means this uh, Feast of the Sacred Heart is optional, which is possible, or if it's only celebrated by certain traditions within uh, the Catholic faith, which would again make it obviously optional. So wherever it may fall, we're going to go. We're going to use it as the eleventh Sunday of the year. So that will put us on page one hundred and seventy. The readings are Ezekiel seventeen twenty-two to twenty-four. If if you don't have a lectionary and you have a study Bible, don't open the study Bible. Do not under any circumstances. Okay. Okay. All right. So. Oh, uh, what? Probably not. Yes, you would. I probably not. No, actually, I wouldn't. Actually. No, but you get the reading right in front of you. Okay. But I don't want the study Bibles used again. Uh, Ezekiel seventeen. Psalm 92, 2 Corinthians 5, Mark chapter 4. Those are the readings we're going to be looking at. Again, some traditions have sacred today as being the Feast of the Sacred Heart. Others have it as the 11th Sunday of the year. Since the Liturgy of the Hours goes with the 11th Sunday of the year, that's what I am following, all right? Now, this is what we're going to try to focus on today. For Sunday school, I'm going to have you do most of the work. We are going to try to figure out Ezekiel chapter 17, 22 to 24. Then during Sunday morning, we're going to try to figure out what in the world all of these readings have in common. I think what they have in common is pretty obvious. Some of them seem out of place, or at least one of them seems out of place, and we'll try to figure that out. But Ezekiel 17 probably, uh, probably gives us the greater challenge and trying to come up with what it's talking about. One, it's in the book of Ezekiel. So, good luck on figuring that out. And two, it possibly, based on your presuppositions, can greatly influence this as well. So, we're going to do our best to figure it out, uh, and we'll, we'll see what we can do. All right, let's begin reading. Ezekiel 17, 22 to 24. Again, if you don't, if you don't have a lectionary, don't look at a study Bible because you're going to immediately see chapter headings and notes, and that's going to be your interpretation, which possibly could be a thousand percent wrong. All right, here we go. A reading from the book of the prophet Ezekiel. Thus says the Lord God, I too will take from the crest of the cedar, from its topmost uh, branches, tear off a tender shoot, and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It shall put forth branches and bear fruit and become a majestic cedar. Birds of every kind shall dwell beneath it, every winged thing in the shade of its bows, 
And all the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, bring low the high tree, lift high the lowly tree, wither up the green tree, and make the withered tree blossom or bloom. As I, the Lord, have spoken, so will I do. This is the word of the Lord. All right. So, you read that, you're probably left with... uh, what in the world to do with this, correct? You may there's there's at least the way the lectionary translates it, and I think they translated it that on purpose. Um, if you know your Bible, there should be at least one part of this section that should immediately draw your mind to and give you an obvious cross reference. Does anyone see an obvious cross reference from the lectionary? Just I mean, it's just it's simple. Okay. Where to what? To Israel? Okay, all right. Isaiah? Okay, very good. Okay, good. You were worrying me for a second. Between the three, <laughs> we've got Isaiah, Ruta Jesse, and he. Okay, that's where we're going. Does anybody know exactly where the reference is? Don't look it up yet. It is in Isaiah. So, you're right. So, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. No, that's what you're way. No, you're way off. Okay. No, way off. Okay, okay. <laughs> you're getting closer. All right. So, we'll, we'll worry about that later. So, so at least... Now, why I want to do, show you that is what right there demonstrates the importance of Reading, the more you read, right, even without studying, if you just read on a continual basis, that makes cross-referencing that much easier, right? Because as soon as I read that, I'm thinking, oh, I already know of a cross-reference with even if we have to look anything up. That may help me. But there's still a lot of things we have to figure out, correct? So, let's look at it. When you look at Ezekiel 17, 22-24, um, let's just try this. Let's just play this little game. Grab a piece of paper. We'll play this little game and see how well this works. Because the goal here is not only to figure it out, the goal here is to try to teach you how to figure it out on your own. Okay? And it was funny, the, um, I don't know, a week ago, two weeks ago, uh, Kevin asked me some question about the Bible study methods, and I was explaining that after you do the methods over and over and over and over and over, that you basically, from that point forward, you just use all of them. You know, like, you know, how many times, how often do you do this Bible study method? Well, I use all of the Bible study methods on a continual basis. I don't necessarily pull out a text and say, I'm going to use this method. I just use a hybrid of them. That's the, that's the goal of learning, learning all 12 Bible study methods and doing them on, you know, a regular basis, 10, 15, 20, 30 times. After you've done them around 30 times, they become such a part of you that you don't have to pull out one method. You can use a hybrid of them. So, one of the things you do in some of the, uh, Methods is you do a thing of observation. You observe what's, what, what the text gives you. So, take a, a second, look back over the, that text, Ezekiel 17, 22 to 24, and just start writing down your observations. What you see, not your interpretation, your observation. You cannot interpret what you do not observe. The, 
the correct, how correct your interpretation will be will be based on how well you do observation. How poor you do observation will make your interpretation not so good. So just write down your observations. First things that you comes to your mind or you see about this text. You can talk to other people. But not interpretation. Okay? I know there's someone out there trying to interpret. Not interpret. Observation. Don't, and, and observations, there's not really a wrong or right, so don't be afraid of being mocked. I mean, I guess you could observe something that's just so... Well, okay, there could be some mocking. All right, I see people writing. Right? Has everybody got at least a couple? All right, good. All right. What's what's uh let's see if we have any common a common observation amongst everyone. What someone throw out some other observations? God speaking, okay, that's good. Okay. But two as well. It's like something's already been done, Okay. Well, let's let's go with this observation. What how would we classify this passage? When we think of all the different types of writing and the different types of things contained in the Bible, what, where, what would we classify this as? It's poetic, okay. okay. So allegorical, okay. A parable, okay. So we have allegorical, parable type language, okay. So that's, if you didn't write that down as an observation, make sure you write that down. Because that becomes, because either, because when you read it, you're left with a choice, right? Is he going to really take the crest of the cedar from a topmost branch, a tender shoot, plant it, and it's really going to be this majestic cedar? Is he really talking about planting and growing a large tree, or is he talking about something else? You, as the reader, have to determine how you're going to handle that, all right? Most everyone here, I think, probably as soon as you read it, did not think he was talking about planting an actual tree. Okay, so that means you had a presupposition, and your presupposition is this is allegorical or a parable type language. Now, immediately, what should that do in your mind? Well, I, I, well, I think the first thing it should do is scare you to death. Okay, because if you know anything about whenever you say something as an allegor, an allegory or a parable. You obviously know what can happen. 227 billion different interpretations. Okay? That's where the allegorical method. They can make something allegorical that's not even allegorical, but can you imagine what they would do with something that is allegorical? Okay? So, immediately you have to go, okay, if it's allegorical, I'm going to have to work extra hard to ensure that I have sound reason for interpreting the allegory in a specific way. All right? Does that make sense? 
you've got to have a good reason to say, this means this. So that's a good observation. We've all determined top of language. Is there something else about this passage that, that, would fall, uh, that we would classify it as? Clearly it's allegorical, parable in nature, but is there, would this be classified as another type of, of, of writing in the Bible? Do I? Oh, very good. All right. It's prophetic. Why, why would we say it's prophetic? Something he's going to do. All right. So we have allegorical and prophetic. And when we say prophetic in this sense, we're talking about something future. How do we typically um, identify or, or how, how do we usually define something that's prophetic? A simple definition. Something God says will happen and it will happen. It is a guarantee. And we, we have to, and so immediately, if it's prophetic, what do we have to, uh, what, what's the next question we have to ask ourselves? All right. Has it been fulfilled or is it future? Okay. Now, if we, so if we determine that it's, it has been fulfilled, we need to determine when. If it hasn't been fulfilled, then what should we look for? If it hasn't been. Well, okay, remember pro with promises, what do we look for when it comes to promises? Conditional, unconditional. If it hasn't been fulfilled, we want to look for any, is there any conditions or any signs or any things that have to happen for it to be fulfilled? Because that's something we would want to look for, right? If, it's, if there's a promise that it's going to happen, does it give us any indication of what to look for for its fulfillment? Does that make sense? All right? Because sometimes things could happen at any time. Some things are, it's just guaranteed, but you don't know when or where. And then sometimes things can be promised or prophesied and you know what to look for. You know, oh, look for this, look for that. It'll kind of give you some guidelines of, of what to look for. Now, sometimes people will take those signs or those guidelines and apply it to a future event when the signs and guidelines actually were looking to something that already occurred. The great examples, the passages in Matthew Hey, when is this temple going to be destroyed? Okay, and then Jesus says, look for wars, rumors of wars, and, and everyone says, oh, that's for the rapture, that's for the second coming. It has nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. The context makes it obvious. So even, even, sometimes, signs, even sometimes signs can be completely misinterpreted. So we have allegorical language that is prophetic in nature. That means we've got a big task at hand, do we not? We've got something that could happen, and we have to try to figure out, has it, is it, and then sometimes we have to look, has it been partially, completely, right? Who gets to participate, who doesn't get, it goes back to the covenant issues, it goes back to, to the, that, and that's something we have to look for and try to figure out. Does that make sense? All right, let's see what we can do. What's the first thing we probably need to figure out looking at the text? Okay, that's possible. There we go. That's the one I'm looking for. 
we got to figure out cedar. Isn't that, isn't that the whole crux of this thing? He's going to take what? He's going to take a branch from the topmost. Yeah, I will from the crest of the cedar, from the top of the cedar. He's going to take from it, from its topmost branches, and he's going to tear off something from it. So, before figuring out what he's going to tear off, before what it, whatever he's going to do, we got to figure out what the cedar represents. So, what do we do? Strong's Concordance, not study Bibles. Okay? I, I, you can look at commentaries right now. If, uh, who's got a Strong's Concordance? You got one? All right. Well, if you don't have one, or if you do, who wants one? I got one here. Anybody want one? Okay. I got two. One. All right. Look up the word cedar. Look up the word cedar. I know, you're like, why do we go to a church where the pastor makes us do the work? I thought that's what we paid him to do. So wait, wait, slow down, slow down. Okay. All right, got to have everyone look them up. Brown cedar, it's in the seas. Okay. You know how to spell it? <laughs> well, I just got to make sure. All right. Yeah, there's a fifty thousand, right? Now, for for our benefit, obviously, any New Testament we can for for now we can set aside because we have an Old Testament passage. Who our most uh, most important cross reference is going to be Old Testament to start with. All right. So let's. Where does it start with? What's the first reference? Good old Leviticus, and immediately. It should bring to mind. Go ahead and if you have a Bible, turn to Leviticus fourteen forty nine. This reference, this reference should be. Do I? Fourteen four. Oh, you're right. Fourteen four. Still Leviticus fourteen. Go to four. Go to Leviticus fourteen. Y'all should know this one. We we spent a lot of time on this passage. Okay. Leviticus chapter 14. What's, what's going on here in this chapter? Remember, cross-referencing, we want to get some kind of context. Yeah, are these uh, about skin conditions, right? And how you could get put out of the camp? Or lepers. Uh, we called lepers, but we said, not, and that's not always truly the disease of leprosy, but skin conditions. And remember, you could get put away, and there were certain things that had to be done. All right, look at uh, Leviticus chapter 14, verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought unto the priest, and the priest shall go forth out of the camp, and the priest shall look, and behold, if the plague of leprosy be healed in the leper. Because he's already been put outside. Remember, it was Seth we put outside the camp, right? And then, we ha- and then the priest has to go and take a look, right? Then shall the priest command to take for him that is to be cleansed two birds alive and clean and cedar wood and scarlet and hyssop, right? And remember all the things that had to be done with this? So cedar wood just plays a part of this process to cleanse the person so he could be brought back in the camp. Now, if we look at it allegorical, 
right, which clearly there's going to be a tendency to do so, the word here sometimes would be a likened to what? Yeah, the wood, the cedar wood. Yeah, and if we looked at it allegorically, remember we did this already in great detail. We spent like a year on it. Okay, well, what? Okay, the, okay, allegorical, right? What's taking place here? It's to cleanse a person, right? Okay. What ultimately becomes a piece of wood that is used to cleanse people from their sins? The cross. Okay, right, okay, right. Everybody remember that? So I remember that if we if we reached out allegorically, which people tend to do, I'm not saying we necessarily have clear justification to do so, it would kind of point towards the work of Jesus on the cross. In fact, the whole process. You have the priests, right? You have you have a sacrifice, you have wood, you have scarlet, you have hyssop, all those things clearly we are going to be washed whiter than snow, or all those things to be cleansed. It has that language that reminds us of Jesus' work on the cross. That doesn't help us a lot here with this particular reference because you're taking from the cedar and you're planting something that's going to become a majestic cedar. Don't know if that really fits with the cross, but at least we have some references. And, and if we go through Leviticus, you're going to see it used a number of times that way, Correct. We'll go through them. Leviticus 14.4. You see that. How about verse 6? Part of the same thing. Verse 49? Part of the same thing. 51? Same. 52? Same. Okay, so Leviticus puts cedar wood in relation to cleansing sinners. Or in this case, people with skin diseases, but we know the skin diseases, leprosy, and many of these diseases are often used as a picture of what? Sin. All right. So cedar here, possible looking out to the cross. Again, doesn't do a lot for us in Ezekiel 17 because you're going to take from the crest of the cedar and you're going to take tear off a, a tender shoot. You're going to plant it on a high and lofty mountain. All right, you, now, you see how some people from the allegorical method would start running with that. Okay, they would start running. Who knows where it would go? If we go back to the, some of the early church fathers, they'd probably be like, whoa, okay, slow down. So that, that doesn't help us a lot. All right, what's next? Numbers. Okay, I got 19. Yeah. Numbers 19. See anything there that would be of, of any major change? I think you're going to sit, find pretty much the same thing. Priest, he's going to take cedar wood, hyssop, scar, it's the same thing. So that doesn't add anything to our uh, search. That brings us to numbers. No, numbers 24 6. Numbers 24 6. See what you find there. Okay. What's this referring to? Don't just focus on the word cedar, focus on the context. Numbers 24. 
Well, we'll go back to context. We have Balaam being spoken of in verse 1, right? When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord, Balaam lifted up his eyes. He saw Israel abiding in tents. He took up his parable and said, Balaam the son of... And he goes on. In fact, it falls... Interesting enough, it falls in the middle of a parable. He had said, uh, which heard the words of of God, uh, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. How goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel, as the valleys are that spread forth. Here it's demonstrating what? Really the blessings of God upon Israel and upon the house of Jacob. Would everyone agree there? Cedar is connected to it, but it just demonstrates blessing. All right. Not a lot I can do with that unless I really start reaching, but it's there. All right. What? What? Where does that take us next? Oh, true, true. God doing the blessing, so that's true. Ah, oh, okay. So then let's keep. Okay, that's a good point. Very good point. Let's keep uh, the numbers reference. Put it to the side as possible of importance. Okay, that's very good. That's very good. All right, next. Judges chapter 9, verse 15. Judges chapter 9, verse 15. Go ahead and take a look in your Bibles. Tell me what you find. Uh huh. You don't see judges? Yep. Obviously, we have a parable language, it sounds like. 9.15? Am I the only one who has a... Okay, and it may be because it's plural, cedars, okay. Maybe because it's plural, and I probably didn't... uh, Some of the Strongs, you're going to have to look up cedars to find it, Okay. So, but uh, when you look at Judges 9.15, is there any help there? Does it offer anything? That is true. That. Well, that would be true. All right, so yeah. Um, it's It's parable. So, so clearly we know this. Trees are clearly used in parable-type language. So there, and cedars are used here. And here the cedars, it says devour the cedars of Lebanon okay, with fire. I think, I think we could argue that that tends to indicate, if you're showing that the cedars are being devoured, that tends to probably show that the cedars were viewed as what? Of, or no, as, of significance, of great. Because if they're going to be destroyed, it's trying to show you there's something significant about that. All right? So we'd have to go and take judges completely apart, but I don't think if we did that, that's going to get us a lot of help in, in the meantime. So let's just keep that one. Uh, the, uh, the, probably the, some of the others are more beneficial at this point. Now we're going to get it to where I think we may start finding some answers. Go to Second Samuel chapter 5. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. 
I think we're going to, well, we'll see if it was. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 11. Uh, we go back to verse 9. So David dwelt in the fort and called it the city of David. And David built round about. Okay. David went on and grew great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. And Hiram king of Tyre sent messengers to David and cedar trees and carpenters and masons. And they built David and house. So now we have cedars connected with David, right? And his house. Everyone see that? All right, let's keep that in mind. Go to chapter 7, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 2. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 2. 2 Samuel 7, 2, say amen when you're there. Okay, what do we find? But, but the key is David lives in a house of cedar. So they sent him cedar trees to build his house. He builds a house. So now we have cedar trees. That's two times connecting with David and his house. So far, so good. Yes. And it seems to be significant to David that he lives in a house of cedar. Again, showing significance here with the cedar. All right. Strong. Okay. All right. So it shows strength, firm. Okay. Permanence. Right. Okay. True. All right. Now let's let's go to chapter or, uh, verse seven. Second Samuel seven seven. What do we have here? Okay, but note what's the emphasis though? House of cedar, house of cedar. So the cedar is becoming now, but again, it's connected with whom? David. And now God's saying, "Hey, did I ask you to build me a house of cedar?" But still, the idea of cedar is connected again with David. How about First Kings chapter four? First Kings chapter four, verse thirty-three. You didn't know the lectionary could be this much fun, did you? Well, it's interesting, yeah. Solomon, okay. And it, okay, he spoke 3,000 proverbs, and, and his songs were 1,005. And he spake of trees from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop, which, interesting, connecting those two again, like Leviticus did, that springeth out of the wall. He spake also of beasts, fowl, of creeping things, and of the fishes. And there came all the, uh, the people to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So when Solomon spoke wisdom, one of the things he talked about was trees. All right? And he talked about the cedar. But Solomon is king and connected to whom? David. David. All right. So we have another connection to the house of David. Would that not be fair to say? All right. Would that be fair? 
Okay, what's next? First Kings five six. What happens here? First uh, Kings five six. Now therefore commanded that they hew me cedar trees out of Lebanon. So they are cutting down cedar trees to build something. Well, yeah, we're going to, I think we'll make it even more clear. How about verse 8? Okay, again, and the building, right? How about verse 10? Yeah, kept him supplied. Then chapter 6, verse 9. Okay, so we have now note most of these references so far, and we had we had a large number of references in Leviticus who connected it to uh, sacrificial cleaning or ceremonial cleaning, right? But now it's turned into connected with David in his house, David in his house, and now it's switched over to Solomon, and now Solomon is building the temple, and it is emphasized that he used what cedar. So it's connected now to the temple that Solomon built, okay? And then you can note, you'll see it, uh, 1 Kings 6.9, 1 Kings 6.10, 1 Kings 6.15, 1 Kings 6.16, 1 Kings 6.18, 1 Kings 6.20, 1 Kings 6.36, 1 Kings 7.2, 7.3, 7.4. Go through all of those. It's all going to be connected to the temple, is it not? Well, and, and so, yeah. well, definitely they were connected with something of great importance, no question, no, 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 no question about it. But it's interesting that they go from playing a part in, in ceremonial cleaning to now being a part of the temple, which will play a paramount role in ceremonial cleaning, will it not? Okay, but it's still connected to Solomon and the house of David. That's, that's really where I want you to, uh, to focus. And that goes all the way... Probably all the way to Chronicles. Second uh, Kings nineteen twenty three. Is there a big jump in uh, topic there? Second Kings nineteen twenty three. Second Kings nineteen twenty three. Okay, but again, the idea, if you want to show how powerful some destruction is, you seem to go with the idea of the cedar, okay? Because we show permanence, uh, strength, if that falls in something bad. Then we're going to get into First Chronicles that's going to repeat all of the things that we just saw in Kings about the house of David and the temple. That's going to be First Chronicles 14.1, if you need to see it. First Chronicles 17.1. I dwell in the house of cedars. First Chronicles seventeen six. 
all of this is the same thing. First Chronicles 22, 4. Second Chronicles chapter 1, verse 15. You may want to look at that one. That may jump in context. Second Chronicles chapter 1, verse 15. Well, and some of them, whenever, whenever destruction is going to happen, they want to point out the power of that destruction by looking to the destruction of the cedar. Second Chronicles chapter 1, verse 15, what do you find there? So there, that's just showing blessing. The cedars are everywhere, okay? Because that's a big thing. If this tree is so powerful and, and, and important, if they're everywhere, that's showing uh, blessings. Okay, how about Second Chronicles chapter 2, verse 3? Second Chronicles 2, 3? Okay, but again, this is going to be to build the temple. Yeah, connect it back to David. Okay, so that same concept. Verse 8. 2 Chronicles 2.8. Uh, same thing. Chapter 9, verse 27. Okay, 2 Chronicles 25.8. Now we may jump. That, that goes right back to David, Temple, Solomon. You're seeing the, the, the largest amount of these references are to David, Solomon, and the temple, and the house of David. Over and over and over and over. Right? Anything in Second Chronicles 25, uh, 18? Uh, we have another allegory. So it's, we, see, we see it's used that way a number of times, correct? And we'd have to take each one of these apart, uh, but we're getting an idea. But note... Oh, and related to kings. Okay, so clearly cedars relate back to, or, to parables and in many cases it seems to reference back to kings in some way, shape, or form. Okay, a very important thing. All right, how about Ezra chapter 3, verse 7? Okay. No, they always connect it to Lebanon too, which would be interesting to, to study out. And another reference to a king. Very good. So we're, we're seeing, we're getting some kind of an idea. We have cedar... David, Solomon, Temple, Kings, David, Solomon, Temple, Kings, David, Solomon, Temple, Kings, and used in allegories and sometimes strength and that type of thing. All right. We're getting somewhere. Now, um, there's a, a couple of other references. They're going to uh, fall in Psalms. It's, it's going to usually be talking about the uh, either God can break a cedar, okay, or it's going to be talking about its power, its growth, that type of thing. Um, and then you're going to come. We're going to come into Isaiah. There's a whole bunch of them in Isaiah. Let's look at some of the Isaiah references. Go to Isaiah chapter two, verse thirteen. Just because of time's sake, I can't look at all of these. 
Isaiah 2.13, is it used in, uh, for judgment's sake there? Okay. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's used in uh, in Isaiah chapter two. So it's going to be used in judgment. He can bring that God's going to bring them down. Ezekiel, and he, that he can make it low or bring it up. Yeah, he uses the same concept. But again, if you want to show, if you want to show the power of God or judgment, you go to the cedar, because if that can be brought down, that's a significant, it's like, in our minds, we don't think much of a cedar tree, but you know, for, for America, if you want to talk about America being brought low, we think of the towers in New York being brought down, right? That becomes symbolic of our, of us being brought down. Cedars, man, if cedars are being knocked down, something bad is happening. It demonstrates uh, the power of God. Okay, how about Isaiah chapter 9, verse 10? Fornia. Yeah, they, obviously, they're kind of viewed this way, and they're used a lot. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 10. Uh, the Lord, in verse 8, the Lord sent a word into Jacob and had lighted upon Israel and all the people shall know, even Ephraim, the inhabitants of Samaria, the say, and the pride and stoutness of the heart. Uh, the bricks are fallen. So here it's talking about, I guess, people's, uh, the pride here that, hey, even if this has happened, we're going to cut these down and turn them into cedars because cedars is seen as something positive and good and a, a good thing. How about chapter 14? It's going to use cedars, plural. Yeah, I know. It's used allegorically a lot. But note, now here, I want you to pay close attention. In Isaiah 14, now this is where things may start bringing us back to our our text. Look at verse 4. Okay, this is talking about Babylon, right? Okay, Mark, Isaiah, go back to Ezekiel. Go back to Ezekiel. Our, our, our verse starts in what, 22? Okay, uh, Ezekiel, our text for today. Chapter 17. Okay. Oh, I thought you had your lectionary. All right, now go right back to verse 12 of Ezekiel 17. Who's being spoken of? Babylon. Babylon, right? All right, Isaiah, right? We have Babylon being spoken of, right? Okay, that's kind of getting us kind of close to where we are what were the the overall topic now what does it say in in regards to the cedars though in Isaiah 14 obviously Babylon's being spoken of in verse 4 
We'll look at verse 5. The Lord hath broken the staff of the wicked and the scepter of the rulers. He who smote the people in wrath with a continual stroke. He hath ruled the nations in anger, uh, is, is persecuted, and none hindereth. The whole earth is at rest and at quiet. They break forth into singing. And here the cedars are in a part of this praise. But it's at the destruction of whom? Of Babylon. All right, but it's connected there. But it, but here the cedars are just seeing something so majestic, singing out, almost rejoicing. All right, but we're getting closer to a connection. Go to um, Isaiah thirty-seven. Gonna run out of time. Cross-referencing takes time, as you see. That's why no one ever does it. 24. Alright, what's going on here? Right, right now, but here we don't have to get into the historical context. But again, cutting down of the cedar demonstrates power, demonstrates ability. That's the, that's the main thing. But for us, we don't really need to worry about the cutting down of the cedars because we're we're planting something here. Well, we're we're tearing something off from a cedar, and we're planting it to grow into something majestic. But we don't have the cutting down of the cedar. All right, that was Isaiah thirty-seven. How about forty-one? Oh, now, now we get a little bit closer to what we're looking for, maybe. Isaiah 41, 19. I will plant in the wilderness the, the cedar. Now we're planting one. Right? And uh, it seems that God is the one doing this here. Okay, so God's going to plant. That kind of gets us back to the same concept. How about 44, 14? All right, so God's doing it here, even the planting of the cedar here. Right. So we have God doing it, which this could be a, a very important passage, but we have God doing it. All right. Now, um, 44.14. Oh, we're running out of time. We're getting close. We had to skip some. We have cedars being cut down again. Yeah. All right. So, all right. Not, not a, a great significance to this. Then that leads us to Jeremiah. There is a number of ones in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 22.7, you have them being cut down again. Um, let's see. Well, yeah. Yeah, we have 22.14, uh, 22, 22.15, 22.23. All about cedars. But um, let's just jump. We'll jump straight to Ezekiel. Because we want to at least try to get an answer to this before uh, we run out of time. Go to chapter 17 of Ezekiel. I don't know if this is going to help us at all.
Okay? Because uh, 17 is our text, right? 22 is where we... It's used before that, I think, in verse 3. So let's look at Ezekiel 17. Now we're going to start getting into the context of the chapter. Okay? Ezekiel 17. What's going on? Okay, well, look at verse 1. And the, and the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, put forth a riddle and speak a parable into the house of Israel and say thus saith the Lord God a great eagle with great wings long winded that's not speaking of me okay okay I know I'm joking long wing full of feathers which had diverse colors came unto Lebanon and took the highest branch of the cedar. Now, once again, now we have the highest part of the cedar being used. And what did it do? The young twigs and carried it into a land of traffic. He set it in a city of merchants. He took also of the seed of the land and planted it in a fruitful field. He placed it by a great waters and set it as a willow tree. And it grew and became a spreading vine of low stature, whose branches turned towards him, and the roots thereof were under him. So he, so it became a vine and brought forth branches and shot forth springs. All right. Now wait a minute. So what do we have here? A great eagle does what? Of the highest branch of the cedar, and he cropped off the top. He carries it away and plants it. Does he not? And it begins to grow. All right? Does what does that immediately bring to possible mind? Okay, we got all kinds of different ideas. All right, let's keep reading and see if we uh, clear up any ideas. Okay? Okay, yeah, we got 20 different... Well, this just proves what, what can happen. Uh, you can get 20 different ideas, which I hate that, that that's true, but it, it's what happens. Anytime something's in a written form, it can take place. All right, what verse did we stop in? Oh, verse 7. There was also another great eagle with great wings and many feathers. And behold, this vine did bend her roots towards him and shut forth her branches towards him that he might water it by the furrows of her plantation. It was planted in a good soil by great waters, that it might bring forth branches, that it might bear fruit, that it may be a goodly vine. Say thou, thus saith the Lord God, shall it prosper? Shall he not pull up the roots thereof and cut off the fruit thereof that it, it wither? It shall wither and all the leaves of her spring, even without great power or many people to pluck it up by the roots thereof. Yet behold, being planted, shall it prosper? Shall it not utterly wither when the east wind toucheth it? It shall wither in the furrows where it grew. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying... All right, lots of parables here, right? Parabolic language. But we know this. It all starts with what? God giving a parable to the house of Israel, and that an eagle is going to come 
take this part off. Then there's all kinds of things growing. Another eagle comes. There's all these types of growing. And is it going to wither? What's going to keep it from withering? Why is it not withering away? Shouldn't it wither away? That's, that's the main concept, right? Then, verse 11, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Say now to the rebellious house, Know you not what these things mean? Okay, that's, that's, that's the kind of the mocking concept. How do you not understand this? And I know what we're all thinking. Uh, okay, we didn't obviously understand it, but he, the expectation is they should. What then does it mean? Behold, the king of Babylon is come to Jerusalem and hath taken the king thereof and the princes thereof and led them with him to Babylon. Oh, wait. Go back to the cedar reference. Cedar has been connected with what? The house of David, Solomon, temple, kings. It's been connected with this. But primarily... I will say it's been primarily related to the Davidic kingdom and clearly with the house of David and with the temple of God itself built by Solomon that David wanted to build but could not. Here we now know who goes into Babylonian captivity. North-South, which is made up of Judah, which Judah is the line of, there we go, now we're getting somewhere, right? He takes from the cedar, right? Is that not what it says in 17? Okay, from the highest branch. The highest branch represents the kingly line, it seems to, clearly, right? What takes place? Well, let's, we're reading the, uh, he takes them to Babylon. Verse 13, and he hath taken the king's seed and made a covenant with him. He hath taken an oath of him. He hath also taken the mighty of the land that the kingdom might be base, but it might not lift itself up but by keeping of his covenant. It might stand, but he rebelled against him, sending his ambassador into Egypt. Now we can get into, uh, we can get into some uh, historical situations here. Let me remind you. Babylon kind of took over, right? Took them, but they would allow one of the kings to kind to operate, but they had to do it kind of under their control. And one of those kings decides not to follow through with the agreement, which is going to cause some massive problems. Okay, now you can go into uh, Zedekiah, Jehoiakim. You can go into some of the kings by name historically if you want. All right, and so all of that brings us down to. What happens? Neither shall Pharaoh... Um, and I will go all the way back to verse uh, 15. He rebelled against him, sending his ambassadors into Egypt, that they might give him horses and much people. Shall he prosper? Shall he escape that doeth such things? Or shall he break the covenant and be delivered? As I live, saith the Lord God, surely in the place where the king dwelleth that made him king, whose oath he despised and whose covenant he break, even with him in the midst of Babylon, he shall die. Neither shall Pharaoh with his mighty army and great company make for him in the war by casting up mounts and building forts to cut off my per- many persons. Seeing he despised the oath by breaking the covenant wherein, lo, he hath given his hand and hath done all these things, he shall not escape. 
Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, as I live, surely mine oath that he hath despised and my covenant that he hath broke, even it will I recompense upon his own head. And I will spread my net upon him. He shall be taken in my snare and I will bring him to Babylon and will plead with him there for his trespass that he hath trespassed against me. And all his fugitives with all his bands shall fall by the sword and they that remain shall be scattered towards all winds and you shall know that I the Lord have spoken it. Bottom line is, King, they did not follow God. Well, I mean, I know there's a lot of language there and we could break it all down. Simply put, Babylon's going to be used to do what? To bring judgment and punishment. And there, while they're in Babylon, he's going to plead with them to do things the right way. Okay? But when Judah goes in and kings start dying and kings get defeated, if you're looking at it from the outside, you're going to be raising your hand and go, Wait a minute! Didn't God make a promise? And he made a promise with whom specifically? David. The Davidic covenant. Remember, we've been talking about covenants a long time. And that, that covenant was from him would always be a king ruling, right? And if you're looking at it going, well, how is this going to happen? Cue dramatic music. Dun, da, da. The next verse is where we have to stop. So there's no question now. The cedar, permanence, yes. Strength, yes. If it gets destroyed, something bit bad happened. But it's connected with over and over and over David, Solomon, Temple. Kings And, which, interesting enough, it's also used, connected with ceremonial cleansing, which ultimately someone from David's line is going to be doing that, who's going to not only replace the temple, he's going to replace the sacrificial system and replace the priest, interesting enough. It's all coming together. But we'll have to stop there. All right. We still got a lot to figure out. Still have a lot to figure out. All right. Oh, yes, I am, obviously. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this morning. Lord, we thank you for just having an opportunity to sit here and we have the tools to be able to look up one word and go through all of it. Uh, so many Christians in the past could have never done what we just did. And we don't even understand the, sometimes we don't even understand the blessing that that is. We can look. We don't. Need, we didn't have to rely on the words of men to try to figure out what this meant. We can start figuring it out, but just by using your word and doing the work. And I, we pray that we never forget the benefit and the privilege of that, and we would always make use of it. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said. And welcome back to Theology Central Radio, broadcasting live from the Theology Central Studios in Abilene, Texas. Do I sound like I'm on NPR? I Do I? Well, welcome back, everyone, to Theology Central Radio, where we are reaching back into the past and bringing those messages to the present. That was June the 28th, 2015, where we were looking at Ezekiel chapter 17, 22 through 24, and then we just kind of stopped there like a cliffhanger. What happens next? Well, 
I think I have the audio for what happened the next hour on that June the 28th, 2015, as we look at Ezekiel and we connect it with the lectionary readings for that particular Sunday. So in the next episode of Theology Central Radio, which will begin 15 minutes from now, we'll be right back after I upload this so that it goes out to all the podcasting apps and it it's there available on uh, Church One and Sermons 2.0. Then we'll come right back and then we will move to the next hour for June the 28th, 2015, doing some more work in Ezekiel and connecting it with the other readings. So we will do that shortly. Hopefully that was beneficial. Hopefully you learned a lot. I know, uh, you know, I was listening to the beginning of that. Obviously, I don't remember everything I said in 2015. I mean, it is 2024. Uh, but what I, I, uh, what I, when I was listening, I, re- you know, I always am reminded of how radically different we do things at the church. Like, no, most churches are not going to do anything like that. So you know, I'm sitting there having everyone do an observational exercise or looking this up or looking that up. And I know sometimes for broadcasting, it's not the best, right? Because there's long pauses or there's no sound. But if you actually participate in what, doing what we did, well, you can benefit as well. So um, I don't know what, I don't know how things went the next hour, but we will, we'll pull up that audio and we will begin in just a few minutes. Thank you for tuning in. You can always email us at newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. And as always, if you are thankful, grateful, think that what we're trying to do is, is, is good, always feel free to support us by hitting the give, uh, the give tab on the Church One app or on the Sermons 2.0 app, or you can go to theologycentral.net, theologycentral.net, and hit the donate tab. We appreciate anything, no matter how small it may be. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great night. We'll be back in about 10 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes, with another episode of Theology Central Radio.